0: We're gonna be in John chapter 8, uh, starting in the, the first verse. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Now, we've started a, a lesson series called We've Got Spirit. Yes, we do. And last week, we, on the, the Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, We started off with talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks. But what we're going to do is also contrast it with the work of the enemy. So we can begin to see in our lives how the enemy can subtly come in and try to trick us and actually have us think we're doing something led by the Holy Spirit. When we may actually be listening more to the enemy. This morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit versus a religious spirit. The term religious spirit is not in the Bible, but we can see from what we just read, you can see the religious spirit at work. And let me just say as as we're starting, the word religion is not a bad word. I know in in our times and in our culture, sometimes we we make the whole word religion a bad word. But the Bible talks about religion. The book of James talks about religion. The definition of religion is actually just some protocol for the way that we worship. So Christianity is a religion. I know we see t-shirts and we see bumper stickers that says, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But Christianity is a religion, it's just based on a relationship. All other religions are based on trying to do the right things to work themselves into God. But the religion that that we follow is a relationship. We can see all over the place that that just because we have rules and regulations on something, on how to worship, doesn't even mean that we're worshiping God. Some people worship politics. Some people worship sports. Sports. But what we want to do is understand that, that a religious spirit is really it's a mindset that is encouraged and influenced by the enemy, which substitutes religious activity for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And to be honest, we're probably all a little bit more religious than we think we are. But we want to expose it. Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness instead expose them as we expose these things we can see something that may even be going on in our life and if you see yourself throughout today the things that we're talking about we're not throwing any any spears at you we're not we're not trying to hurt your feelings we're just wanting to see where we are maybe there's a mindset that i've had that really wasn't influenced by the holy spirit like i thought that it was Maybe I've been doing some religious activity more out of compulsion than out of being led by God. Let's jump into some of this. I want to show you this morning three ways that a religious spirit operates. Operates in pride, operates in fear, and operates in shame. We're going to to contrast this, like I said, with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, so the first one. These may be kind of long, I'm sorry, but a religious spirit wants us to seek spiritual knowledge that will result in pride. You got that? Wants us to seek knowledge. The Holy Spirit wants us to seek Him. And as we seek Him, He will give us revelation, and it will result in life. Now, there's nothing wrong with knowledge. But it's when we make knowledge, having more knowledge. There are people that have lots of knowledge about the Word of God, but it's not resulting in life for them or people around them. So we want to seek the Holy Spirit because his revelation will lead to life. The enemy wants us to be prideful because he believes the Bible more than we do sometimes. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a tricky butthead he is. <laughs> Getting us to a place of spiritual arrogance so we're out of step with God. The enemy's tactics never change, though. We can go all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 2 and 3, and you see... The two trees that were in the garden, there was the tree of life that God said, eat this. Partake of life. But then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. Knowledge, even of good, won't give you life. Only God can give life. And Adam and Eve had the life of God, yet they were still tempted to go after knowledge. So if Adam and Eve, who walked in the very presence of God more deeply than than we understand, and they were still tempted to go after knowledge instead of life, we really need to watch what we're going after or the purpose for which we're going after it. If we don't intentionally get what we need from God... We'll be tempted to get it elsewhere because it's a legitimate need. We have legitimate needs, and even the understanding, knowledge, and wisdom, that's a legitimate need, but we get it from God. We get it from the Holy Spirit, and if we don't intentionally get it from God, the enemy is more than happy to give you a substitute. Well, let's look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings revelation of God, and it results in life. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm reading this out of the, the English Standard Version because it's one of the versions that actually capitalizes the S in spirit. I believe he's talking about, when Paul wrote this, he is talking about the Holy Spirit. That's why it's capitalized here. Other versions don't capitalize it, but I want you to hear it again, that the Father of glory will give you the Spirit. This is something that the Father does. He gives us the Spirit, the Spirit that brings wisdom, and it brings revelation. And why do we have the wisdom and the revelation? So we can know God. Our desire for knowledge should be so that we may know God more deeply. As we know Him, His life flows through us and it produces love. You ever know anybody that knows a whole lot of the Bible, but they don't walk in love? That's a religious spirit. They've got knowledge, but they don't have life. So let's do something. We're going to do this a few times this morning. We're going to call it our religious checker. I want to look at a religious pride. Religious pride, this is our religious pride checker. And I say they, I'm just talking about somebody that's operating under a religious spirit, under a religious mindset. They are unable to receive from those they consider less spiritual than themselves. There was somebody uh, several years ago that came to the church and a little bit arrogant, had a, had a little bit of an issue, and I sat down and I talked with him, and he said, "Well, my problem is, I have trouble receiving from people that don't know as much as I do." Didn't last around here. They judge churches ministry, and ministries by the way, they would do it. By the way, they would preach. by the way that they would lead even though they've probably never done it. You ever notice everybody's got an opinion, but they've never done it? You see people on Facebook, you know, putting things out saying, you know, I cannot believe that churches are shutting down for this COVID thing. How dare they shut down? We're the church of God. Well, they're not leading anybody. They're not looking out for 350 people. They're just popping off. These are the same people that are saying, you need to stand up against this government and stand up against this unrighteousness in the government. And they're the same people condemning the people that are out protesting now. You see how that works? It's a religious spirit. It's a wrong mindset. They keep score on their spiritual life. It becomes just a check the box type of thing. read my Bible. I prayed, I witnessed, I did all the things that I'm supposed to do, therefore I'm awesome. They always want a new revelation when they're not living the last revelation they got. And they pursue ministry over maturity. God wants to mature us so we can be good ministers of the gospel. But if we're pursuing ministry instead of pursuing God, we can tear a whole lot of stuff up. Jesus told the disciples to look out for the yeast of the Pharisees. The yeast was spiritual pride. They believed that they were closer to God because of their knowledge and discipline. Yet because they didn't live in love, when Jesus walked into the midst of them, they didn't even recognize that God was there. If the enemy can't keep you out of heaven, he'll fight to keep you out of love. All right, let's move on. Here's the second way that a a religious spirit will manifest. A religious spirit wants us to work for acceptance, but the result is fear. The Holy Spirit wants us to know that we're accepted And the result is peace. You see, the enemy wants us in fear because he believes the Bible more than we do sometimes. 1 John 4 8, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment, it's for fear of not being accepted. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. What a tricky butthead the enemy is. He knows that if he can keep us in fear, then we will not experience God's perfect love. And that perfect love lets us know that we're accepted by him. But... The enemy's tactics never change, right? Hope you're catching on with the pattern, okay? In Genesis chapter 3, all the way back at the beginning, when man and woman chose pride over life, they were separated from the perfect love of God and it resulted in fear. God comes along and he's looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. See, a religious spirit wants us to think that because we've sinned, because we've messed up, that we should hide from God, and eventually, maybe we will work our way back into His good graces if we're really, really good. The problem is, because we're human, we mess up from time to time, right? See, I used to kind of picture it this way. When I when I first got saved, even when I was first in ministry, I, I saw it like a ladder. And we're working our way up this ladder to God. And when I was doing good, man, I'm climbing that ladder. But when I messed up, you know, I'd fall down a couple of rungs. And if I really, really messed up, I probably fell all the way down to the To the bottom again. And down at the bottom, I was, you know, discouraged and upset and hiding from God. Not wanting to talk to him because he probably didn't want to talk to me. The fear of of coming before the Father. Man, what a glorious day when I figured out God doesn't have a ladder. So the Holy Spirit, here's the opposite side of it. The Holy Spirit confirms that we are accepted. When? After we've worked for it? No, immediately. Romans 8, 15 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you. When did you get God's spirit? When he adopted you, when you came into the family, and when the Holy Spirit came in. It says that now we call him Abba, Father. The closest thing that we can get to in English of the Greek word Abba is Daddy or Papa. And if that irritates you, that I call my heavenly father Daddy, you're probably dealing with a religious spirit. I'm accepted because I'm a son, not because I've ever done anything or I'm ever going to do any, anything. I'm accepted because I am a son. And knowing acceptance connects us with God's perfect love, which drives out all fear. Lack of fear results in peace. As Philippians 4, 7 tells us, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live for Christ. Wouldn't you rather live in peace than in fear? So let's look at our religious fear checker here. Fear of never measuring up to God's standards. Doing things to be noticed Or accepted by people. That's a fear of man. I act a certain way, do a certain thing, talk the right way when you're in church. Don't use those words that you sometimes use outside of church. Because I want to be accepted in church. We'll tend to reject spiritual manifestations or experiences that they don't understand out of the fear of being wrong. Just because you've never experienced it before does not mean that it's not God. We're going to come back to that one real quick. I want to go ahead and drop this last one so they don't feel like I'm taking advantage of their time up here. Keeps up with spiritual discipline, such as Bible, prayer, church, for fear of disappointing God. See, we should be in the the Bible. We should be in prayer. We should be at church, not because we're afraid of disappointing God. Well, because we know that life and health comes out of it. Now, jumping back to the tend to reject spiritual manifestations. If I have time to tell a story here, um, when we're in fear and we see something that 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 we don't recognize, then we can tend to push back on it. And I remember uh, several years ago when I was still the youth pastor. It was the first the first summer since I came over to the church full-time. So it was about eight years ago. And I'm dealing with a whole lot of, lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of questions. There's a whole lot of fears going on in my heart and in my mind. And, you know, the number one thing was, why are you 43 years old and still a youth pastor when all of your friends that you went to college with are senior pastors? Am I ever going to be who God called me to be? You're just wrestling with these fears of, of, of not being. Anybody else ever been there i'm you know i 'm almost fifty years old, and i 've never done anything in my life well i took the, I took the youth group to to camp that year. I think it's the only time we ever took them to camp, if I remember because uh my my thought on it was you get camp all the time i 'm taking you on a mission trip where you work that's you know you're gonna go suffer for Jesus <laughs> uh, but we went to camp this year and um about a thousand kids there, you know, two, three hundred uh, youth pastors and youth workers, and uh, there was this one night that this this guy came in to speak, and he was he was a youth evangelist. I don't know what makes you a youth evangelist, you know, I don't know, except the fact that he was wearing skinny jeans, and this was right when skinny jeans was coming out. So I, I decided that I did not like this guy right off the bat. I don't like you. And he preached for like an hour, and I didn't hear anything that I thought was earth-shattering. The, the problem was I'm sitting there going, God, I could do this better than him. Lord, I'm anointed to do this. When am I going to get my chance? Blah, 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 blah. And then he he said, okay, we're going to release the Holy Spirit on all these kids. If you're a youth pastor or, or a, a, a youth leader, just jump up and start praying over kids. And, and oh, You talk about chaos just breaking out and just, you know, uh, Every Pentecost in the place is just screaming in tongues, you know running around, laying hands on people and all this type of stuff. I sat down because I was not getting into this confusion or chaos. Then he says, "Hey, I want all of the youth pastors to come up on stage. We're going to pray for all of you." And I was like, "I ain't going. I'm sitting there.' It's like, I'm not going up there. He doesn't have anything that I need. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm—I am praying. I'm kind of praying, and 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 the the Spirit of God just speaks up and says, "Go up on stage." No, yeah, go up on stage. I don't want to, Lord. I want you to go up on stage. Like, okay. So I look up there, and this stage—it was a really, really wide stage—and then it had had this raised place in the middle. Uh, and this, this was where all the holy people were. I was calling it the holy hump. They were, they were up there, and, and this is where, you know, the, the, the man of God, he was up there, and he's laying hands on people. And every time he lays hands on them, you know, they're falling out in the spirit all over the place and everything. Well, I look over here, and I say, oh, I see one of the, you know, the people from the camp, and they're praying for people over here. I'll allow him to pray over me. So I went up on stage, and I positioned myself perfectly for the other guy to come by and pray for me. And this is, I I am not exaggerating. When the guy came by, he prayed for the person on my left and the person on my right and absolutely skipped me. Now they have prayed for just about everybody on the stage, and I'm still standing there. And it's starting to thin out. You know, they're moving all the, you know, the, the... the people that have fallen out there dragging them off to the sides and and you know other people are just leaving and I'm I'm almost the last person up there. And one of the ushers comes up to me and he says, Have you been prayed for? And I said no and he goes, Well ascend the holy hump please. So I went up to the middle and we know who was praying for people in the middle. The guy that I did not want to pray for me. And here's the first thought is like I ain't going down. He may think he's anointed he may think that everybody comes up here. I'm not going down, and I'm not giving him a courtesy fall. It's not going to happen. And here he comes, and he puts his hand on my head, and I put my hand around the back, backside of his head. If I'm going down, you're going down too. And I don't know if he realized what was going on because I wasn't going over. Then he puts his hand right in the middle of my chest, and he starts praying some things that I had been praying. He started praying some of the secrets of my heart. And guess what happened? Oh, Lord. (laughs) Here he comes. Now, there had been ushers catching everybody that was falling out, all these people that I didn't even think God was touching. They were catching them. But when it came to catching me, there was no usher to be found. And I didn't just go down. I mean, I flew across the stage and fell on the edge of the holy hump so I'm halfway on and halfway off and as I'm going through the air the Lord says don't ever tell me who I can use and who I cannot use and I laid there and jerked and twitched for about 15 minutes you know how many times I've seen people jerking and twitching and going that's not God they're making that up and I had a beautiful experience with God It's amazing what happens when we get out of our religious mindset. And God had to slap me out of mine. So a religious spirit wants you to judge spirituality on how good you're doing. At pleasing God and doing spiritual stuff instead of by the fact that you're a child of God. When being a child of God is the foundation on which we stand, we will do spiritual things because we love him. Number three. A religious spirit wants us to work to hide our sin with the result being shame. The Holy Spirit wants us to run to God when we sin with the result being joy. The enemy wants us in shame because he believes the Bible more than we do sometimes. Psalms 34 5 says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy No shadow of shame will darken their faces. So you know what? He's a tricky butthead. That was a whole lot funnier when I was was practicing it myself. (laughs) made me laugh. (laughs) He knows that if he keeps us in shame, we won't experience joy. And he doesn't want us to experience joy because, as Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the enemy's tactics never change. Back in Genesis chapter 3 again, after man and woman had sinned, in verse 7 there it says, at the moment their eyes were opened, they, were, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Now let me bring that up here for us just real quickly. Instead of saying, I'm ashamed of my nakedness and trying to cover myself physically, we're ashamed of things that have happened in our lives, so therefore we close down and we're not vulnerable to each other. We hide from people, just like they were hiding from God. The Religious spirit wants you to feel shame when you've sinned. A favorite tactic of someone suffering from religious shame is to point out other sins. And blame others to deflect from themselves. Back in Genesis 3, verse 11 and 12, God speaking to Adam said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, It was the woman that you gave me. It's her fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. Don't look at me. I'm hiding in shame. It's somebody else's fault, but the Holy Spirit wants us to throw off shame and run to God, because, as Psalm sixteen eleven says, in His presence is the fullness of joy. How can we be in joy when we've sinned, when we've messed up? Because as Romans four seven says. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. When we run to God, he deals with it. Instead of hiding from God, blaming somebody else, and then just carrying that shame on our back forever. So let's look at the religious shame checker. They tend to see more of what's wrong than what's right with people. They tend to be intolerant of the weaknesses of others while overlooking their own. They tend to have a mechanical prayer life. You see, shame keeps them from a deep emotional prayer life. And they will overact to immaturity in the people and in the church. And if we're going to be honest, truth be told, there's probably more immaturity in the church than we even even know. And uses emotionalism as a substitute for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see this right there. When we were dealing with fear, we were judging emotionalism when we're dealing with shame, see, this is how that, that, that mindset, that spirit works. He can't get you on one side, he's going to try to get you on the other. I'm judging emotionalism over here. Oh, that's not God. But over here, I feel like if there's not some kind of emotional response, you know, God didn't show up. If there wasn't, you know, uh, many tears and snot, somebody didn't get something. If somebody didn't fall out, the presence of God is not here. A religious spirit wants you to cover your shame by faking it and shifting blame. The Holy Spirit wants you to find the joy of forgiveness in the presence of God. Here's two bonus, two bonus symptoms of a religious spirit. If you're irritated at me right now because I'm talking about a religious spirit, that's a pretty good indication. If you're thinking of somebody else going, man, I wish they would hear this, instead of judging our own heart, you may want to look at things. So let me finish up right here. Back in John 8, is where we all started, with the woman caught in adultery, religious pride insisted that she was a sinner and had to be punished. Religious fear insisted that she didn't meet the standards of the law. And religious shame insisted on exposing her sin to everyone. But Jesus saw the trap. And in verse 7, he told them, the religious teachers and the Pharisees, he said, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. You see, when a religious spirit is exposed, it tends to run and hide. And that's exactly what they did. When Jesus exposed their their religious hypocrisy, they left. And then in verse 10, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman where are your accusers didn't even one of them condemn you no Lord she said and Jesus said neither do I condemn you go and sin no more Jesus immediately gave her life gave her peace and gave her joy because that's the work of the Holy Spirit so what about you What about you? Are you choosing pride over life? It's easy to fall into. I have been in all three of these categories. Do we sometimes choose fear over peace? Or shame over joy? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Are you ready to set aside a religious mindset? Throw off a religious spirit to connect more fully with the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he's not here to condemn you. He wants to empower you to go and sin no more. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for pouring your Holy Spirit into us. Thank you for sending him as the comforter. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and lovingly showing us and exposing to us places where we're out of step with you. Because we want to be in step with you. We do want knowledge. We want to know you. And we want to know you more deeply. So Holy Spirit, come with that wisdom and revelation. Come with peace as we know who we are in Christ Jesus, as we know that we are adopted into the kingdom of God. And come with joy as we recognize all of our sins are paid for. All of our sins are forgiven. And Lord, in any place that I've been out of step with you and this body has been out of step with you, Lord, we just take a moment and we repent. If the Lord has spoken anything to you this morning, whether you're here in the congregation or you're with us online this morning, just say, Lord, I release that to you. I give that to you. I repent of that. I don't want a religious mindset. I want a godly mindset. I want my mind renewed so I can be who you've called me to be. Lord, we choose to follow after you and be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.